Well, what a um, great few weeks it's been. I um, have been really encouraged and inspired by uh, the way the Lord is working in your lives and uh, the way that the Lord is working on this campus even before revival services, whether that's in prayer groups or discipleship groups, whether that's in uh, the underground or uh, in the Monday afternoon discipleship group or whether that's in the Wednesday night service or wherever it may be. Just wonderful to see God working, but not only in our times of corporate worship, but I'm sure within the classroom and in your own personal spiritual journey, I, I hope and pray. And I have seen some uh, of the way that God is working in real and powerful ways. And our gospel lesson today, I think, is an appropriate text. It is part of um, what I have planned today. I think connects in well with where we are in our journey. So we're going to be looking at Mark uh, chapter 1, if you want to follow along in your Bible. Mark chapter 1. I'll be, look, I'll be beginning at verse 29, but I want to give some background of uh, Mark chapter 1. Mark's gospel is unique in that it doesn't mention anything of uh, the birth of Christ. Uh, we don't go to the manger. We don't see Mary and Joseph. It begins with Christ's earthly ministry. Uh, it actually begins with John the Baptist. The first half of chapter 1 begins with John the Baptist preparing the way, for John was the one to prepare the way for Christ to come, for the Messiah to come. And we see John faithfully doing that, uh, living in the desert, uh, proclaiming that the Messiah would come. He was preparing the way. He was baptizing in the wilderness. And so we see John proclaiming this message, and then Jesus comes out uh, from Nazareth of Galilee, and he goes out to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. And in verse 10 we read, And when Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens split open, and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on him, and a voice from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, and I am fully pleased with you. So in that verse we see the triune God, we see Jesus uh, coming up out of the water, we see the Spirit descending upon him, and we hear God the Father proclaiming, I am well pleased, I am fully pleased with you. And so this is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And immediately after being baptized, as you may know, in Mark's Gospel, it's only two verses, we read that he goes out to the, he goes out to the desert, led by the Holy Spirit, out into the wilderness, where he, where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and where he was tempted by Satan. So this is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, he's uh, going out to the Jordan. He's baptized by John. He then goes into the wilderness to prepare before he begins his earthly ministry and fasts for 40 days and 40 nights where Satan tempts him. He then comes back into Galilee and uh, he's announcing that the kingdom of God is near. And that is the message he proclaims. The kingdom of God is near. Turn away from your sins and believe the good news. He is continuing the message that John was proclaiming. Now Jesus' ministry begins. And it's, it's interesting here in verse 14, uh, John is uh, thrown into prison. So he was faithfully proclaiming the way, faithfully proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God. And immediately when Jesus comes on the scene, he's thrown into prison. When he'd never leave prison, many of you know he would be beheaded and lose his life. So Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is near, the kingdom of God is near. And, and now we see that he's calling his disciples. And the first disciples we see is Simon and his brother Andrew. They were fishing and he, he calls them and they drop everything and they decide to follow Jesus. A few verses later we see that he calls Zebedee's sons, James and John, as they were by the seashore mending their nets. And verse 20 tells us he called them to and immediately they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and went with him. So they immediately left their family. And it appears as if they've come from some wealth because two things. One, they have boats of their own and two, they have hired men. Uh, that tells you that they have some wealth, that they're well off. And yet they leave all of that to become a disciple, to become a follower of Jesus. And now as we move uh, into uh, the later half of Mark chapter 1, I would like to suggest that Jesus is calling even more disciples. And in this chapter, though, don't we get, though we don't get an exhaustive list of what it means to be a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ, we can learn quite a bit. 
So in verse 21, Jesus goes into the synagogue and it says that he would go every Sabbath into the synagogue and he taught the people and the disciples were with him. And while in the synagogue, uh, a man with an evil spirit came to him and Jesus cut him short and said, Be silent. Come out of the man. And then after this time in the synagogue, they moved to Simon's home. And this is where we'll pick up in verse 29. Uh, in respect and reverence to the gospel of our Lord, will you please stand for the scripture reading this morning? Mark chapter 1, verses 29-39. After Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue, they went over to Simon and Andrew's home, and James and John were with them. Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. He went to her bedside, and as he took her by the hand and helped her sit up, the fever suddenly left, and she got up and prepared a meal for her. That evening at sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus, and a huge crowd of people from all over Capernaum gathered outside the door to watch. So Jesus healed great numbers of sick people who had many different kinds of diseases, and he ordered many demons to come out of their victims. But because they knew who he was, he refused to allow the demons to speak. The next morning, Jesus awoke long before daybreak and went alone into the wilderness to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. They said, everyone is asking for you. But he replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too, because that is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and expelling demons from many people. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word has been spoken. We have heard it with our ears, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you open our hearts and our minds and our understanding so that we might understand better what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I think it seems kind of harsh. Maybe it stood out to you as I read it. So Jesus goes in and heals Simon's mother-in-law. We don't know her name. She's nameless. And in one verse, he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, helped her sit up. The fever left her, and she got up and prepared a meal for them. Some translations say she got up to serve them. It seems almost a little bizarre as if Jesus was hungry. So, so well, let me heal her of her fever. We don't know how serious it was. So she can serve us so we can eat. It almost appears that way. It makes us a little uncomfortable. That, why couldn't others help? Why couldn't Simon do this? You know, not, not know how to cook? But we need to understand, again, the culture of the day. We need to understand that it was an honor to prepare a meal for another person. It was an honor for the woman, the eldest woman of the home, to prepare a meal for guests. It was a great honor, as uh, Femi Perkins writes in her commentary on Mark. The privilege of showing hospitality to important guests falls to Peter's mother-in-law as a matter of honor, not a matter of servitude. So she immediately responds to the fact that Jesus has healed her. She immediately responds by wanting to serve him. She immediately responds by wanting to prepare a meal, for having a meal together is a sacred and holy thing in Jewish culture. And I would suggest today that we must recapture that. That having a meal together, sitting together, even in the cafeteria, can be a sacred and holy moment. And preparing a meal for another is also holy. So let us not think that Jesus was just hungry. Well, let me heal her. I'm kind of hungry. Let us not think that she is being taken advantage of here, as all commentators write. This was a, an issue of honor, and she simply wanted to serve Jesus. 
And so now she too is a disciple. She was not along the seashore, but now she too is a follower, much like Simon and Andrew. And she wants to serve Jesus. So they have a meal together on the Sabbath, and it wasn't until sundown that the community started bringing the sick and the demon-possessed to Jesus. And this is difficult for us because sometimes when we see all the demon possession that's taking place in Scripture, and here in the first chapter of Mark, it sometimes makes us uncomfortable because uh, we don't know what to do with it. We know a few things. We know that back in Jesus' day, there were a lot of um, physical issues. Maybe people had epilepsy. They went into seizures, let's say. And they didn't know what seizures were, so they just often categorized it or claimed it as, well, that's, that's demon possession, when they just didn't have the medical know-how or the terminology. And that's true, we know that. Or maybe there were some psychological disorders or some people were very sick mentally, and, and so how they were living and functioning was just so foreign to the community that they would say, well, that's, that's demon possession. And, and so we need to understand that. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't evil. That doesn't mean that there wasn't possibly demon possession. I like the way C.S. Lewis says it in his introduction to Screwtape Letters. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased the devils are equally pleased, he writes, by both errors. Whether we dismiss it altogether and say, well, it wasn't, it wasn't demon possession, there's not evil to that degree today, we don't take part in that, or if we have this over everything, everything bad, everything's evil. Both is an error, C.S. Lewis. And I think that helps us here. To me, I'm learning and I'm a student for life, as I hope you will be a student for life, and I'll just tell you where I am in my journey. Some of these that Jesus heals that are possessed with demons, they are proclaiming that he is the Son of God before the disciples knew he was the Son of God. So that the ones who are demon-possessed are recognizing that this is the Son of God, even before Jesus even proclaimed them. So there is some sort of power there. There is some sort of power that they recognize at work in the life of Jesus. Jesus tells them to be silent. The reason that Jesus tells them to be silent is because he did not want them to proclaim the way that his kingdom would come into fruition. Jesus had come to save and to serve. And if word gets out that Jesus is healing all these people and casting out demons, then the following might be, let's go follow Jesus, because if you follow him, you get healed. If you follow Jesus, there's some real benefits. We should really follow this Jesus guy. And so now even the disciples, he warns them not to, not to proclaim the kingdom yet because they're wanting it to come in power. They're wanting it to come in. Jesus, do these great miracles because you'll get a huge following. If you do these great and grand miracles, you, everyone will want to follow you. And there is this, some refer to it almost as Jesus almost keeping a secret Saying, not yet, not this way. Not, not this way. The kingdom of God is near and the kingdom of God will come, but it will not come through this great power where I get everyone to follow me and then we storm the capital and we storm the kingdom and we take over. That is not the way the kingdom of God will move forward. And Jesus is concerned, many believe, he keeps this secret, if you will, because the people are not ready to understand really the costs that are involved if you want to be a part of God's kingdom. 
See, it's more than just getting healed or, or getting possessions or getting what you want. So he tells the, do- the demons, he speaks into evil and he says, be silent. And he tells the disciples, we must go on from here. The kingdom of heaven is near and the kingdom of heaven is moving forward. What does that mean? We know that the kingdom of heaven has come in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has paid for our sin and our guilt and our wrong and he has defeated death by going to the cross. You know, he could have healed himself that day. He had the power, we know that, demonstrating the power he had over evil. He had the power to conquer evil that day. They tried to crucif- they crucified him to the cross, but he didn't come to take over in power. He came to take over as a servant. And so the kingdom of heaven has come, and when God raised Jesus from the dead, the kingdom of God has come, and it's, and it's not yet complete, though. It's not yet finished. Why do we know the kingdom of God is not yet complete? Because Christ is not yet returning, because we still see things like people hungry. We still, pe- we still see people starving to death. We still see things like human trafficking. We still, pe- we still see people ruining their personal lives by decisions they make and the lifestyle they choose. We see that. We see it personally. We see it in the church. We see it in the world. And all of that, none of that, none of it is part of the kingdom of God. And so we, as followers of Christ, if you really want to be a follower of Christ, we must speak into a new reality. We must bring the kingdom of God with us. We must bring the kingdom of God into those situations so the kingdom of God will come to completion. Because may God's kingdom be on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in the Lord's Prayer. In almost any Christian tradition you come from, you've prayed that prayer. Christians throughout history have been praying that prayer. Your kingdom be on earth as it is in heaven. And there are things on earth that are not of heaven. And those things that are not of heaven, we must be agents of change and bring about God's kingdom. So those that are demon-possessed, and even the disciples are getting excited. They're like, Jesus, you know, they're trying to find him. Hey, we got a great following. Let's, let's milk this. Let's, let's hang out here. We're going to get hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of people to follow us. But they can't find him because he went to a, a deserted place, a desolate place to pray. He wanted to get away. And he was trying to teach them and tell them, no, this is not how it's going to happen. Yes, I will demonstrate that I am more powerful than you. Yes, I will demonstrate that I am more powerful than sickness and disease. But that is not how this kingdom will come. It is a demonstration of the kingdom of heaven, but it is not the completion of the kingdom of heaven. So he goes to this desolate place to pray. I have a difficult time sometimes when I come to verses that I've heard since a child and since I was six years old or in Sunday school classes. You hear the Sunday school teachers, well, we see here that Jesus went alone to pray. So you make sure you go alone and make time with the Father. The problem I have with that is that it's so common we often dismiss it. It's so common we often forget about it. I think I was even sharing with the preaching class as we were talking about this text. It's like that's the most common preached way of this text is that I almost it's almost difficult to preach. But it's still a profound truth. If Jesus needed time to be with the Father, just him and the Father, if Jesus needed to be with the Father because he was tired and exhausted. If Jesus needed to be with the Father because he was tempted, he was still tempted here. He wasn't just tempted when he was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. Don't you think that Jesus was still tempted for, yeah, let's take over in power? If Jesus, when he was tempted and tired, he went away to be with the Father alone, don't you think we should follow his example? 
I know when I was sitting where you are sitting as a student, I'd always feel guilty. Oh, I didn't do my devotions today. Something's, I'd speak to a professor or, or a friend, and they say, well, how's everything? Well, I think things would be better if I, oh, if I just did my devotions. I know things would be better. I know how things aren't going well because my devotional life isn't going well. I wish that I knew then what I know now, or at least the way I view this time alone with God as a follower, as a disciple of God, that it is not a requirement. It is a gift. You have this incredible opportunity to commune with the Father. Just as It's incredible and precious. Don't beat yourself up too bad. Some of you do that really well. But make time to be with the Father. He wants to be with you. And if Jesus set the example... Maybe we should follow. So Jesus goes out to pray because he's overwhelmed. He's discouraged. And there are these crises in the chapter. The sick people, the, the mother-in-law, the demon-possessed. But the greatest crisis in this chapter, as one commentator writes, the greatest crisis is the shallow and superficial response to the pe- of the people to Jesus. They are only interested in what he can do to heal their physical affliction. So Jesus seeks the strength that only communion and fellowship with the Father can provide. It is a crisis, this shallow and superficial response, only following Jesus because they can get something out of it. Only following Jesus because it benefits my life. Just, hey, if that's hey, if people can get healed, and I want to follow Jesus. God is doing great things in your life. And God has done great things in revival service, whether you kneeled here or you prayed in the pew or you prayed in the underground or in your room or in your home church. God is doing great things in your life. And and maybe he's even reached his hand out like he did to Simon's uh, mother-in-law and healed him. Maybe he's reached into your life and healed you, whether you have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior of your life or there was a brokenness in your life that that the healing waters of God are beginning to flow through. Maybe those healing waters of God flowing through your life are to heal a a physical pain or emotional or spiritual. Maybe there were broken relationships and the healing water of God is starting to flow through. He's reached out his hand to you and he has healed you. But my question now to you is, all right, well, what kind of follower will you now be? What kind of follower will you be If the healing touch of Christ has come upon your life in any way, what kind of follower will you now be? What kind of follower will you be? Will you be one of the, I'm in it for what I get out of it, follower of Jesus? Is that the type of follower of Christ, that the healing power of God has been made manifest in your life in some way or some form, and is it all, I'm in it for what I get out of it? This happens in different ways. I think... uh, I think some of us become Christian or live a Christian life or attend a church because of a young lady or a young man who's attending that church. We're interested in them. We hear, oh, they'll only date you if you love Jesus. Well, hey, I love Jesus. I mean, if I'm going to get something out of the deal, if this means that I get to date her or this means I get to date him, hey, oh, yeah, hey, Jesus, let's go to church. kind of follower are you? What kind of follower of Jesus will you be? Are you in it for what you get out of it? What kind of follower are you? Are you as, only, as if or only if he heals me will I be a follower? 
Only if he heals me. I'll follow, but only if Jesus heals. I'll be a follower, but only if Jesus heals my family member who is very sick. Lord, if you heal them, I'll follow you forever. I'll be a follower of Jesus if he heals this broken relationship. I'll follow only if he heals me. You know, it's interesting. I missed it for many, many years, but as I was preparing this text, I thought it. They brought all the sick and all the disease possessed to him. And most translations say it this way. And Jesus healed many. They brought all. He healed many. This translation says he healed great numbers. Jesus didn't heal everybody he came in contact with. Are you going to be a follower only if he heals me? Only if he heals my parents' broken relationship? Or will you truly be a follower even if that healing doesn't come the way you would like it to? What kind of follower will you be? Dr. Deal, in the first message when he spoke uh, last week, gave the, um, shared with you how he had lost his son to cancer, I guess just a few, just a few years ago. And he was very open and vulnerable with you. and uh, um, We learned a lot from his stories, whether it was about his family or his ministry or a yellow dog under the porch. We'll all, we'll all remember that. And on Friday night, he was speaking about healing. And he talked about how he had cancer in the throat and how God healed him. And, and the whole way through the message, I kept thinking, um, is he going to mention his son? Because we know he was praying for healing of the son. And he gives this great testimony how God healed him of cancer. The cancer was there and now it's gone. And the, the doctors can't figure it out. I mean, and I kept thinking, I wonder if he's going to mention his son. And, and he didn't. He opened the altars and he could come and be anointed with oil and prayed for it. A lot of you came forward on Friday night. It was a beautiful scene. It was an honor to pray with many of you, many of you and anoint you with oil to pray for God's healing in your life, whatever that healing may be. But on Sunday morning, he did then again talk about the healing power of God and talk about how he lost his son's life. Now, we as Christians know this. Because Christ died on the cross for us, we now have a way to the Father. We have a way to heaven. And as Dr. Deal said over and over again, my son has received the ultimate healing. There is no more cancer. Words like cancer and AIDS and disease and sickness do not exist where he is. Stills refers to him, son. He said, I have three sons that live on earth, but I have one that lives in heaven. And I don't want to tell you, I, if anything happened to my son or daughter, I can tell you now, I do not have the faith and the strength within me to still follow Christ apart from the grace and strength of God that, that he can give only in those moments. But when we have people stand before us like Dr. Deal or Dr. Stacy Menger that has MS and talking about the strength and presence of peace of God, even when God doesn't heal, that's an incredible follower of Christ that should encourage and inspire us to say, yes, even in the darkest of our God will be with us. What kind of follower will you be? I'll love Jesus, but I won't be part of a church. Jesus went to the synagogue every Sabbath. Every Sabbath. Jesus went to the synagogue. The church today is the body of Christ. The church today is the body of Christ. And God's kingdom is going to come through the church of Jesus Christ. So will you be a follower that's part of the body of Christ? I'll, be, I'll love Jesus, but I won't be a part of the church. What kind of follower will you be? 
If there's worldly power and prestige, and if I get what I want from Jesus, I'll be a follower, but only then. What kind of follower will you be? Many in this room, I don't know all your stories, but I know in many of your lives, the healing power of God has touched your life in some form or fashion, whether it was this semester or last year or when you were a child. It's the power and healing presence of Christ has been reached out to you. You have been healed. You have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. My question is, but now, what kind of follower will you be? Because the crisis in this text is the shallow and superficial response of the people to Jesus. They were just in it for what they could get out of it. It was not changing the way that they now live. So what kind of follower will you be? Will you be the kind of follower that commits and loves the church of Jesus Christ, imperfections and all, to be part of God bringing his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven? The church is the body of Christ to proclaim the kingdom of God has come and we are to be a part of it. Will you be the kind of follower who is willing to leave all behind to follow Jesus? Much like Simon and Andrew did and and, and Zebedee's sons, James and John, they left everything behind to be a follower. They weren't perfect and they were going to learn a lot along the way and they were going to stumble along the way but they were still willing to make that sacrificial commitment to leave all behind to be a follower of Jesus. Will you be that kind of follower? Will you be the kind of follower that does not allow evil to speak or have power? Will you be the kind of follower that does not allow evil to speak or have power and allow the kingdom of God to break in? Jesus always tells the demons, be silent. Do you want to be a part of the body of Christ that speaks into evil and says, be silent for the kingdom of God? kind of follower will you be? Will you be the kind of follower who is willing to spend a regular time with the Father, following Jesus' example, recognizing it is not a requirement, that it is a precious, precious gift, that our Heavenly Father wants to commune with you and be with you, and if Jesus set the example, will you be the kind of follower that does the same and receive this gift so that he might sustain you and guide your life? What kind of follower will you be? My prayer for each of us is that we will live like Simon's mother-in-law. She's in one verse. She enters the scriptures as quickly as she leaves. We don't know her name. We don't know her background. All we know is that she wanted to serve Jesus. That's all she wanted to do. She wasn't in it, it appears, for prestige or power for recognition or glory. She just wanted to serve Jesus. I pray that you will live your life like her, this nameless character in the Bible, where all you want to do is serve her. To be the kind of follower that simply wants to serve and follow Jesus all the days of your life, whether you get recognition for it or not, whether you stand on a stage and sing about it or stand before a community and preach about it, or just live it in your dorms or in your homes or in your workplace. I pray you will be that type of follower. What kind of follower of Jesus will you be in your personal life and in your relationships? Will your personal life glorify God? What kind of follower will you be in your dating relationships? When pressures come within relationships, how will you respond? What kind of follower will you be then? What kind of follower will you be in community life here at ENC and in the local church community? 
Will you join and be a part of the body of Christ and be part of the movement of the body of Christ that advances his kingdom? Or will you be a destructive presence in the church? A detrimental presence? Or will you simply live in a way that says, I just want to serve Jesus. I just want to serve Jesus. What kind of follower will you be in your personal life? What kind of follower will you be in community life, whether your church or ENC? And what kind of follower will you be in the world? What kind of follower will you be in the world? Will you be one that wants to speak into evil and say, be silent? Will you as a disciple be willing to make sacrifices, big and small, because you realize that evil is speaking here and I want no part of it? Many of you saw the uh, documentary, and I did not get to see it. I want to preface that, but I've read a lot about it. Many of you got to see the documentary, uh, Misrepresentation. And I've watched a lot of clips of it, and seen interviews with the director, and couldn't make it. Uh, Edie wanted to attend that night, so I watched the kids, and, um, so she could watch it. But a lot of you learned a lot that night about how women are exploited in the media. The music industry, the television industry, the film industry. So after you've watched that, are you going to change your viewing and listening habit? Are you going to speak into that and say, evil be silent? You will not have a voice in my life. Monday night at a local church, the Wrecking's going to give a free concert, and the Wrecking's been here in chapel, and it's going to be the Not For Sale campaign, and it's important. I hope you can make it if you can go. And it'd be a wonderful thing to be a part of, because when it comes to human trafficking, we need to be a voice to speak into that evil and say, be silent. But what about the smaller things in life that exploit women? If what we view and what we hear is not of the kingdom of God, and I think misrepresentation demonstrated that. It wasn't a Christian documentary, whatever that may mean, but it, it demonstrated that this is not of God's kingdom. How are you now going to respond? I hope that we respond in ways and say, I do not want that evil spoken into my life. I've shared this maybe a couple years ago, and I shared it recently in a class. Forgive me if you've heard it, but this, what kind of follower will you be? I'm continually learning and growing, and as I go further along in the journey, uh, I'm still learning of things that I should do or not do or how I should live and, and function, whether it's uh, creation care or speaking to in, injustices and, and saying evil be silent. But one everyday example, and I just want to give this everyday example because I think it often helps us. Not because it's my life, but just because the day-to-day -day examples can be helpful. I used to love, I know I shared it, How I Met Your Mother. Thought that show was so fun. Oh, Barney, man, he's fun. He's got great suits, you know, he's just a stylish guy. I used to laugh so hard at that show. I think it's, I think it's still You know, he is a woman. He's a woman. And one night as I'm laughing, I heard the Lord clearly say, what are you laughing at? I became desensitized because I was allowing, and I'm going to say it, I was allowing evil to be spoken to. Now, you're adults. This is me not telling you as chaplain, don't you dare watch that. That is a decision as you as a follower of Christ must make. But do not become desensitized to these evils that are spoken into your life on a daily basis. What kind of follower will you be? In your personal life, in community life, here in the in the dorms, in the calf, what kind of follower will you be? You take bold stands when a stand is needed, whether in a personal relationship or in the church or here at EMC. 
What kind of follower will you be in the world? Final, final point, and then we'll close in prayer. I have a friend, a pastor friend that I knew from Long Island, uh, the Reverend Noel D'Amico. And uh, she is part of a movement. She was one of the founding directors of a, an organization called Coalition for the Molokai Workers. Coalition for the Molokai Workers. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And they are a voice for migrant farm workers in Florida. They are a voice to stop slavery here in the United States, for there is slavery here in the United States. Let me read their uh, vision statement. CIW's anti-slavery campaign is a worker-based approach to eliminating modern-day slavery in the agricultural industry. The CIW helps fight this crime by uncovering, and investigating, and assisting in the federal prosecution of slavery rings, preying upon hundreds of farm workers across the United States. When I first met her, CIW was boycotting Taco Bell. And I love Taco Bell. I was like, why, why are we boycotting Taco Bell? I don't understand. Well, the tomatoes that Taco Bell purchased at a very low rate were from farms in Florida where human trafficking and slavery was taking place. I said, wow, I guess I'm going to miss Taco Bell. I use this as an example because they just had a huge victory. Yesterday the announcement came out that Trader Joe's was purchasing from the same farmers. Now they're going to make sure that their practices of purchasing will be where the, the workers' rights are uh, followed and monitored and that they will receive fair pay. She always amazed me. We have differences theologically in a lot of things. Uh, she always amazed me by her energy and strength to speak into things where there seemed to be so little progress. I mean, I remember when she started this Taco Bell boycott and the group started and no one was paying attention for years and the moment MTV caught on to it, it ended about two months later, Taco Bell changed there too because once the media gets involved, things change. But she lived her life in a way that was saying, evil will be silent. And the kingdom of God has come and human slavery is not of God. That's the type of follower she chose to be. That's the type of ministry and work she chose to focus on. And she's made a difference. What type of work, what type of ministry, what type of calling will you focus on? We can't do all things. But what kind of follower will you be in your personal life, in your community life, and in your church life? Will you please stand as we pray?